So I have the arduous task of keeping you awake after your carbohydrate load. But it's good because there's absolutely, you shouldn't have to take any notes. All this is, it's just the show and tell of things I've seen and I've gathered over the years of ECMO gone wrong. Uh, and we're going to do our best to essentially go through it in a very stepwise, stimulating manner. Oh, yeah, you're going to need that. So again, nobody pays me any money. The Air Force barely pays me any money. Uh, everything in this have been stolen from either online public records or I have patient signed or family signed forms stating that I can use their forms and any means for education. Uh, and I use the black background because you shouldn't have to be distracted by anything. All of this is, is, is essentially just background noise to pictures. Come on in, sir. So when you talk about uh, ECMO, it's all about ELSO. And ELSO recognizes that you know not all of ECMO is the best thing in the world. Sometimes you have some negative outcomes. When we look here, a lot of this is mechanical failure where the pump or the oxygenator just isn't working. Some of it is user error. The air gets in the circuit where it definitely shouldn't be. Uh, but we still rely on, and most of the news is made from the times when you bleed when you shouldn't be bleeding. Because almost every, every ECMO circuit needs some anticoagulation to keep it stable. Otherwise, it'll clot off and you'll be recannulating every single day. Now, despite that, a majority of this is not CNS hemorrhage, which everyone fears. Every negative outcome story you've heard is that someone had a head bleed while on ECMO. Uh, our last two cases, head bleeds on ECMO. But it's not really that common. Uh, and regardless of what, out, what aspect you have, yes, you have a very poor outcome if you have a head bleed, but 20% still survive. You have a lot of negative outcomes from GI hemorrhages but a lot of them still survive. And I mean, the, the actual survival rate of ECMO is gonna be around 50, 60%. So you're really not losing a whole lot of people when you have these negative outcomes. And unfortunately, it's not always as easy as go into the room, evaluate, evaluate how the patient's doing. Sometimes they're kind of all bundled up as we've seen for our CCAT transfers. So we're gonna take it in a stepwise manner of where the errors can occur. So when you walk in the room, your first step is going to be to cannulate the patient. So this is what happens when somebody bleeds out through their cannula. So cannula's in, bleeding, 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 bleeding. This could be either the vessel is ruptured, the vessel was ligated when you cut down to find that vessel. It could be that the cannula has migrated out and it's starting to bleed out by some of the proximal uh, outlets of that tube could be almost anything okay. so when you look here does anyone see anything distracting on here it's hard to if I cannulate that that's a kinked off venous ECMO cannula this is ephemeral ECMO cannula this has gone up and kind of bowed straight into the right atria it should definitely not be there uh, this here is something very similar where the wire went up, wrapped around a couple times, and kind of made its way all around in the vasculature. This also is not supposed to happen, but 
it happens more often than, than you would think. This is why fluoro is kind of a gift if you have it. Uh, again, this is what can happen when a cannula just goes in and bends. And this bend here, this isn't going to easily come out. This is pure, pure solid steel titanium wire most of the time. That's under a lot of tension. When that bends, that's not going to bend back and hold a good flow. And even if it does hold a good flow, it'll always have that kink. It'll always have turbulence. It'll always be able to clot. What happens when you th throw in an Avalon catheter? Well, the Avalon catheter can go migrate. Now, you really can't see that. But when you get up close from the SDC to the IVC, you should be able to put that Avalon outlet right at the inlet of the RA, right where you're getting the most amount of flow. When you don't, you get this little phenomena where you start getting bleeding around that RA from a punctured site, and it starts putting a tamponade effect on, the, on that heart, and the first thing going is your preload. Eventually after that is your cardiac output, and then after that is your patient. They're done. The, this is an emergency. This is why if you're going to do an Avalon catheter, make sure you have the ability to decompress that pleural effusion, I mean that pericardial effusion. Otherwise, the patient has minutes, seconds to live. Anyone see anything negative here? What's that? The foot looks a little miscolored in between them. When you look at the femoral cannulas, you want to make sure you have plenty of room. You can take just three times that diameter and figure out what kind of cannula size you're going to put in. It's a pretty rough estimate. Uh, and you always want to, if you're going to do a VA ECMO, put a backflow cannula because most of the time you want to get the maximum amount of flow up that aorta so you can support the heart as much as possible. You don't always have the likelihood of getting enough blood around that cannula to support that lower extremity. So you kind of need a backflow cannula just going straight back through the SFA to basically support that leg. If you don't, this is kind of what happens, where you see a gross distant, uh, difference excuse me, in the lower extremity <coughs> coloration, and that can really lead to full lower extremity necrosis. Now, this is one reason why a lot of people, myself included if I don't have to, we don't sew in the ECMO cannulas, because this wire is very, very thin sheet of plastic is over that wire. You nick that plastic as you're sewing that cannula in, and all of a sudden that wire unravels. This was actually in the heart. This was uh, coming out of the leg of the patient. The blood flow had actually shot the cannula out of the patient, and this had gone straight up to the heart. This is not uncommon. This occurred, the patient did not survive, as you would expect. Uh, this is all uh, a post-mortem find. Step two, watch for clots. Clots can happen almost anywhere. So you might have a bridge where you clamp it because you're not using that bridge. Bridges are mainly used in pediatrics and neonatal. A bridge is used to essentially, you can, if you have two cannulas going into the patient and the whole circuit, you can have a bridge where if you clamp both of these cannulas going into the patient, in and out of the patient, that circuit can maintain its circle function well, the patient's off ECMO, and it's almost like a trial decannulation, where the ECMO circuit is maintained, the oxygenator is still going, the pump is still flowing as it would. It's just that patient is now off circuit, so you can say, you know what, they're actually doing better. We don't need the ECMO anymore. But if you clamp it for too long, this is what happens. You can also have a lot of clots down here at the outlet port. This is what happens if you have anything on a 
standby, you start getting separation into plasma and clots and everything else. Again, very similar. Uh, this, is, this is a venous cannula, which looks terrible. I know as does the aortic cannula. So the flow didn't really save this patient. This is the backflow cannula that essentially is going in. And we were wondering why the leg was getting so white. And we look up and we said, oh, mainly because there's absolutely no flow going back into that leg. So, event so this is actually a very easy fix. You, you unscrew this, you unscrew it up here, pop it off, throw it back on, good to go. Much easier to fix that than a whole ECMO circuit. Uh, this is what happens if you have someone on too much propofol, and this happened back at Maryland. So this here, this is all triglycerides. That whole circuit is done because the patient had I forget, it was several thousand values of triglycerides, but that's what happened to the patient. The patient was on VV ECMO. They just left the Mickey. We just cannulated them. 12 hours later, bam, a whole circuit's up. I've never seen it before. I haven't seen a picture since. How, how, how much propofol? Were, I mean, it, was it accumulative? Like, wasn't a lot of propofol. Time, it's like just, propofol. It was just uh, propofol enough, I think, 30 or 40 to keep the patient comfortable while they were in the, the, uh, the MICU. They had respiratory failure. They essentially got to a point where they were almost to the point of paralysis and proning, and that wasn't working anymore. So you know, if you, if you paralyze someone, you need a lot of propofol to make sure they're down. That's what they did, and they didn't turn it off when they went to the CT surgery ICU. This is the result. Of course, they changed it out immediately. Patient did okay, but Dr. Mason, have you ever seen this is all triglycerides? Something kind of odd and unusual. No, I've seen I've seen propofol trash those uh, polypropylene membranes. Yeah, no, this is all propofol. Beautiful. So mechanical clotting. It's not just the tubes that are at risk. So th this is your oxygenator. Both kinds. We don't use these anymore, but this is what we've seen yesterday. Uh, and how do you know you, you have clots in your oxygenator? Well, you can look at this. This is a simulation but you're gonna look at the pressure. And you know that a pressure drop, resistance through that oxygenator, is how you're gonna know if there's any kind of clot burden going up. Uh, and we were all taught the cutoffs for the pressure you're supposed to really be looking for, but if you see any gradual gross decompensation of those pressures, it starts worrying you that, you know, before I had single digits, and now I'm getting up triple digits in the pressure differences, maybe you ought to, uh, look at something and it's normally the pre-membrane pressure. Any thrombus formation should be related with a pressure drop. Just you have a just kind of a tip off. And you'll see that widening. You'll see decreased O2 CO2 transfer. You'll see triadulopathy. And of course, you'll, you'll see hemolysis. Now this is hemolysis. This is free hemoglobin plotted for the patient. You can see something happened here and this was their outflow bag, which is supposed to be, this is the bag coming off of their CRTs, essentially. It looks like there's a lot of hemoglobin in there that shouldn't be there. Uh, that, that was our tip-off. The oxygenator can leak, not unusual. You don't want that to happen. When that happens, it's just as bad as if it were uh, clotted off, you gotta replace it. Pumps can clot. Pumps are not immune to all this. Uh, and most of the time, you just need the backup circuit ready to go. You can change out a Quadrox. You can pop in a new 
pump or anything. But the bottom line is, is that the amount of time, pressure, and effort it takes to do that, just change the circuit out. It's not even worth it. Because you don't know where, all, where the clots are. They might just be in the oxygenator. They might be everywhere. And most of the time, you have no idea that they're in one device until you turn all of it off and you drain that circuit and you look, wow, that quadrat's a shot. And you want to prevent it. You want to minimize any time that the blood is stagnant. You want to minimize clamping. Take any dead space out of there. If tubes aren't needed, take them off, especially any uh, three-way stop tops. And then put someone in heparin. And when you lay the lines up, don't kink them off like this. That's a rookie mistake. Step three, we're going to look for air. Air in the circuit is bad. That is air in a circuit. That is air in a circuit. What can happen? Well, the venous cannula can kind of come out, put those ports in, into the air where they're in mainly all the outflow going in, kind of go in the holes of the multi-stage cannula. You can have a broken stopcock. That's not unusual, especially if it's before the pump when it's a lot of negative pressure. In fact, a lot of people take the circuit itself and cut off any inlets before that pump head because any stopcocks there, any lines or tubes or anything is just a way for air to get in the circuit. Uh, you could use alcohol when you're cleaning those tubes and that can break it down. Or you can have accidental tube damage. And you really can't see the tube damage here, but it's there. That the, these nicks and scratches and stuff are because someone's clamping the tube constantly. And when they're clamping it, they're pinching it with their clamps and they're cutting it. Better to tape it, clamp it, avoid the cut down here, almost as if you're holding a suture needle. Very, very tip as much, as little as possible as you need. Uh, any air in that circuit, you're, you're going to see increased. Okay, excuse me, stepping back. Another way to get air in that circuit is you increase the oxygen partial pressure, you obstruct the oxygenator exhaust, you overpressurize the gas going in, and the gas bleeds out. Or you could be operating at a high altitude, and all of a sudden you start seeing foam at the high top of that oxygenator. This doesn't happen for us, does it? You've never actually been in a situation where this had but this occurred. No, I have. I think bigger problem is the older, more porous, micro-porous oxygen. Yeah, they kind of... Where you could push gas across. Yeah, so it's not as much of a problem, but we do put people in unpressurized cabins. It's basically the, the equivalent of getting the bends, except we're talking about dissolved oxygen instead of dissolved nitrogen. Yeah. But you dissolve so much oxygen in the blood, and then if the ambient pressure is low enough, it will start to come out of solution. I've never seen that happen, but theoretically it could with a you really could, high PO2. Yeah. You can also clamp that venous side. You can kink off the bladder. You can put enough negative pressure, pull that gas out of solution and cavitate. This is kind of what you're talking about as well. So there, there's a lot of ways to actually have that. But the final step to kind of know how to not get air in that circuit is know your circuit. Prime your own circuits. Know what's going in, what's going out, what's before oxygenator, what's going out of the oxygenator. Know where the holes are, know how deep that cannula was in know where the holes are supposed to be, know what the x-ray looked like when it went in. Just know your circuit. Because if you know your circuit, you'll know A, where you're clamping, B, where the ports are that might be a little weak. You'll know everything about it. Plus, you'll also know then how to replace it if you get any holes or any defects in that circuit. Step five are your flow problems. So, as we said, bad low flow can cause clots. 
You can have failure of that, which is why there, there's always a hand crank attached to every circuit. You can have mechanical breakdown. This is not supposed to have that many cracks and stuff in it. Uh, some pump problems are going to be, there's going to be a membrane pressure drop when you have a flow that's kind of constant. You're going to have, you're going to increase flow, but you're not getting any extra pressure. Uh, and the flow is kind of set with the majority of times. And when you have flow problems, a lot of times it could be any four of these things, which basically leads to decreased blood flow. And low flow is an equal hemolysis and clotting. So let's see if this plays. This is a video. And then you look at that, and then you say, well, how do the cannulas look? They look kind of like that. Some shattering. Again, a sign of low flow. And just as a final point, I want you to distinguish it from this. See how it's just slowly vibrating? That's pulsatile flow going through that circuit. That's normal. That isn't a negative aspect. But when you see chattering like that, when you see the flows dropping off like that, that's a sign of low flow. That's a sign of low volume. That's a sign that you can figure it out. So that's all the hypovolemia. <coughs> Increased intrathoracic pressure could cause this. And again, this will lead you to kind of look at the chest and say, how'd the x-ray look? Was there a pneumo that I missed? Kind of throw an, an ultrasound on there and look and make sure I'm not missing something. Is the venous cat, uh, catheter occluded? Again, it can happen. If it kinks off, it's going to happen. Uh, and then step six is to watch for patient problems. You know, there's going to be a lot of stuff, and we're going to kind of go through them all. So capillary leak pretty much will cause a loss of, of intravascular volume. And any inflammation will loosen the, the pores on the vasculature, and volume will start leaking out. You'll then give them more volume, which will then resolve the capillary leak, but then further volume will leak out. Uh, so that's step one. That's problem one. Problem two is hemolysis. So anywhere that we heard that the blood uh, touches the circuit, you can get clots there. And then that's pretty much due to a multitude of things, the complement, the white cells, the platelets. We all kind of learned about tissue factor yesterday, but it all causes coagulopathy. And that's when you start getting the clots and the red blood cells start breaking up, start getting the fibrins transforming, start seeing increased levels of free hemoglobin, and then you're kind of spiraling down and spiraling down and spiraling down. And then, you have, and then of course, because the hemoglobin has to go somewhere, if you're not on CRT, you buy kidneys. Problem three, thrombocytopenia. You're not making it, you're eating up platelets, or you're just kind of keeping them places because they're damaged. The spleen and liver like to hold onto them, and all of a sudden there's no platelets anywhere else in the, in the body. Any, uh, any risk factors, foreign, subs, foreign substances such as ECMO cannulas are gonna cause the aggregation, hypoxia can inhibit the platelets to be made, any clots will eat up all those platelets uh, and pretty much any exposure will start denaturing everything, activating everything, increasing that clotting cascade, and then all of a sudden you, you hit DIC. DIC will essentially where you just get fibrin everywhere. You're, you're already coagulopathic. 
Now you start putting plots everywhere. You start dropping your platelets even more. You start dropping your clotting factors even more. And you start getting DIC. And this is what you're going to see. So the whole bottom line is, is that you can avoid foreign bodies in the blood. And this is, excuse me? What are you talking about? No, this, that one's fine. This is the one I'm talking about. Yeah, do you see? Yeah, I'm just making sure. I'm just, I didn't label them, I apologize. And last but not least is going to be your bleeding. And a lot of that is just due to everything we just talked about. And you can get bleeding almost anywhere, especially at those cannula sites. Or here, right in the brain. And then... You have your cardiac stun, which is something that I hope you don't have to see. But anytime you start seeing pulse pressures in the patient drop, the patient's PO2 starts going up. Oh. And this could be just due to the fact that your ECMO is causing this patient to have the increased afterload, especially during VA ECMO. You could have places that weren't normally perfused now being reperfused, such as cardiac my uh, Mycardial tissue, or the arterial cannula is in the wrong place in the aorta. Uh, that's that, because I want to save some time for my eCPR talk. But any questions? Any more show and tell needed? Anyone want to see anything? Mm -hmm. These are just some great minds and just some not so great minds. 